Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. This is season four, episode 11 and a half, we could call it. Episode 12, really, because we are giving you a bonus episode today with Jamie McIntosh. He's an executive director of Compassion Canada. And I would love for you to lean into this conversation because he has worked all around the world throughout his entire career with what's going on in terms of development, poverty reduction, justice issues. He um, even was um, the leader of International Justice Mission. He now, of course, works with Compassion, but he's been with World Vision and Mercy Ships. He's just an expert at this conversation. And now more than ever, uh, we need to lean in and pay attention to our brothers and sisters all around the world who are struggling with this crazy pandemic. And so I want you to lean into this conversation with Jamie just to learn a little bit more about what's going on. Hey, there's this really exciting thing in this, you know, this, as we keep saying, that word unprecedented, this unprecedented time, um, there's this cool thing happening with all of these organizations getting together for the first time ever for a concert. It's called Unite to Fight Poverty. It's going to go to air on August 28th. It's a collaboration for the first time ever between World Vision, Food for the Hungry, and Compassion in both Canada and the U.S. It's bringing together Toby Mac, Hillsong Worship, For King and Country, Kirk Franklin, Michael W. Smith, you know these names, and so many more. Uh, More than half a billion people are at risk of being pushed into extreme poverty due to the impact of COVID-19. And so we need to stand together to fight against poverty. That's why for the first time ever, these groups are getting together. These organizations are saying, let's work together. We are actually better together. And so Unite to Fight Poverty is the event happening on August 28th. I'm going to, of course, link it in the show notes where you can find it on Facebook and YouTube and all that good stuff. I don't want you to miss this event is going to be unforgettable. August 28th, 830, uh, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Hey, I'm also seeing people like Phil Wickham and CeCe Winans. Oh my goodness, Sadie Robertson Huff from Duck Dynasty and Carlos Whitaker. They're going to be there. Amy Grant, the lineup is crazy. I wanted to check out this event on August 28th. Unheard of that all of these organizations have joined together. I love that they're doing this because it's so much bigger than any one organization. So lean into this conversation I'm having now with Jamie McIntosh. I think you're going to love it. And it's um, just a meaningful and timely conversation about what's going on in the world and how we can get involved. Welcome to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to season four, sponsored by Compassion Canada and Wycliffe College. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Jamie McIntosh, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm really glad to get to know you and have you on the podcast. Uh, thanks, Joanna. I'm really stoked for this opportunity. I, I've heard a lot about you and uh, your influence. It's legendary. So yeah, ready to dive <laughs> dive in. Oh, man. Oh, well, let's dive in. You got to tell us, who, you know, give us the spiel. Who are you? Um, and then I want to go and get a little bit of the story of how you've come to be in this place uh, as an executive director at Compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's your context of work and life right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Boy, context of work and life in a in a COVID reality is uh, it's a bit <laughs> surreal, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's kind of swirling around. So I um, 
I'm fortunate to be uh, a husband and a father. My wife, Elizabeth, is uh, an amazing woman who um, happens to be a teacher of the deaf. And um, she does, she works with um, mostly children who are preschool age at this point, does home visiting um, to walk alongside themselves and their parents to kind of prep them for their life journey, their learning journey. And um, we have two children. Um, we have son just turned 16 and we have a 13 year old daughter. Uh, they're amazing kids who um, also keep us on our toes and uh, sometimes on our knees and often in stitches as well. So, <laughs> Who are now home all the time, I imagine. Who are now home all the time. And we have two dogs. One of them's a puppy that tears into everything. So we have a very vibrant home um, and uh, it's a pretty active space. Um, and yeah, I have just recently rejoined Compassion um, after a probably an 18-year hiatus. Um, early in my journey, I had the privilege of working with Compassion for close to four years doing church relations and artist relations, um, just kind of crisscrossing, um, you know, at first Eastern Canada, um, speaking in, in churches and letting people know um, just about God's heart for children around the world, those who were in uh, situations uh, affected by poverty and how Canadians can come alongside to champion them, to be serve as, as advocates as they um, are released from poverty in, in Jesus' name and in his love. Um, but kind of the journey a little bit before and then going through, if if that's of interest. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, because you've been in this sort of justice, social justice, compassion, global <laughs> church work, this has been like trajectory of your whole career, really. Um, you've been in a number of different organizations, is my understanding. Um, probably have seen a ton. By the way, how many countries have you been to? Do you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. My passports fill up uh, a lot more quickly than... Uh, than, than, than the time that they're, you know, valid for, um, but not, not a crazy time, maybe, um, maybe like three dozen or so, um, but multiple journeys back into a lot yeah. of, a lot of country contexts. Um, so yeah, I've been privileged to see life in, um, Central, uh, Central America and the Caribbean, Latin America, South America, um, in Africa, everywhere from South Africa to Somalia over to, um, you know, kind of, uh, the West coast and, uh, and then, yeah, a lot of countries in South Asia, Asia, Middle East. Wow. Um, I've lived in, born and raised in Canada and, uh, studied in Canada, was going to Western, thought I was going to um, go to law school there, but God um, tricked me. He had other plans. I went to a, a kind of a Bible school in California, which, you know, was a hard thing to sacrifice the winters in Canada for. <laughs> yeah, he tricked you, but at least you got to go to California. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was, it was a good, it was a good thing. And while I was out there, I had the privilege of pastoring in a couple of churches, mainly doing mm -hmm. youth and college roles, uh, in Northern California, um, also studied in Minneapolis. 
and then I returned back to Canada and um, was um, working in my dad's print shop for a little while, uh, helping with some sales and marketing. And um, um, but I really had this sense of burden for you know for the vulnerable, for the poor who. I felt were really precious in, in God's sight and were a priority for him and needed to be for myself and for those around me. And as I kind of looked and assessed, I, I felt like I, I didn't have much to offer, but the two sort of skill sets or themes were relationships and communications. Those were things that mm. just drove me. So I felt like I could offer that to um to a ministry organization. So I approached Compassion. I had been introduced to their work as a teen. I'd actually um, supported a, a, a well water project when I was a, a teenager um, and uh, kind of said, hey, um, Barry Slaw, it was the president. I said, you know, I would love to just kind of travel and speak in different churches. I'm not doing a Compassion spiel, but sharing about God's heart for people and God's heart for uh, the poor and, um, and weave that together with a call to respond, uh, you know, through various kingdom ministries, including compassion. Yeah. And, um, and so that began a journey that led to uh, that role with compassion in the early days. And then when I was, um, overseas, um, I found myself tripping over injustice, um, learning from other relief and development workers and missionaries and reading accounts, um, seeing some of it firsthand of children who were being trafficked, um, rest of X in Haiti who were supposed to be um, sort of raised by a caring aunt or uncle who had a little bit more means. And so in exchange for some light housekeeping duties, they would be provided an education. But the reality was many of them were actually living like, you know, pre-ball Cinderella-like existences mm -hmm. where they're working as virtual slaves. Um, wow. And so I was just ripped off at the sort of level of, injustice, seeing street kids, you know, who are being abused by corrupt authorities and felt that, like I was incensed by this and, and uh, knew that God must have a plan that something could be done, should be done. Um, but I wasn't seeing it happen. So I had approached actually internally compassion. I tried to see if we could broaden our reach to extend the ministry that we were doing, alleviating poverty to also extending into addressing injustice. And um, while there was a great deal of enthusiasm and passion for engaging in that sort of ministry expansion, it really was outside of our organizational core competencies, you know, um, kind of, um, we weren't really set up for that. It could endanger some of our workers and their teams on the ground. And really the work could get shut down if we started taking on corrupt officials for the sake of hundreds of kids or thousands of kids being, you know, trafficked, we might lose our ability to release, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands from poverty. So it, uh, long story short, um, I 
reached out to everyone I could think of. I reached out to, um, you know, leaders of, of Amnesty and World Vision and, um, and others. And no one really was addressing everyday low-level intimidation and violence of the poor um, mm. in sort of a case-by-case basis. Um, and then, so my wife and I made it a matter of prayer for about a year and a half, trying to say, well, God, you put this burden on our heart. Um, we love the work in the ministry of compassion, but the 99 sheep are, are being well looked after, but the one that's trapped in the thickets of injustice, you know, we have a burden to go and, 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 and help them. And uh, one day we were hosting some international board meetings in our office in London, Ontario. And uh, some of the board members coming through, um, you know, we fell into a conversation where uh, they started talking about this organization that they um, were looking for someone to do a church relations role, like what I was doing, and said, you should check that out. Maybe we could uh, hire you for that uh, down in Washington, D.C. And I said, well, what, what's the organization? They said, IJM. I said, well, what's IJM? Uh, International Justice Mission. And I remember when this, the word justice came out of Jim Wesolowski's uh, lips, um, it was like a pit bull just sort of seized hold of my heart. I was like, wow, yeah. this is what I've been That's the thing. drawn to. And so I said, well, what's your model? How effective is it? And he shared with me about how Gary Haugen, who had been the officer in charge of the UN investigation into the Rwandan genocide, um, as a young civil rights attorney, um, how he was just absolutely shattered with the injustice that he saw that happened, that, that saw 800,000 men, women, and children, their lives snuffed out at Machete's Edge. Um, while we in the West largely slept, um, we were blissfully unaware of our brothers and sisters being slaughtered. And we could have intervened, but we didn't. And uh, so he, that led to a journey of him launching International Justice Mission to be um, a response and a, an aid to the body of Christ around the world's response to addressing e- extreme violence affecting the poor. So um, rather than taking a role doing church relations with them in, in the U.S., I said, what are your plans for engaging Canadians in the work? say like i don't know we love canada we love canadians but we oh yeah those people yeah (laughs) you know you guys are good at hockey and we love your maple syrup your back bacon but uh plants i don't i don't know tell us what what do you what do you have in mind and so i just started to share a little bit about you know i really feel that canadians are globally connected globally aware we have um you know this diaspora community that's rich and people from all over the world who have a lot to contribute. We have the the French and uh, you know the French and, and, and Anglo backgrounds of different justice systems. And we have Commonwealth connections and Francophonie connections. We've been influential in you know with UN circles. We've been influential in missions circles. Um, you know, you could look at um, John Humphrey's role in uh, the UN Declaration of, of Human Rights. Um, peacekeeping, you know, like Canadians have traditionally had a globally aware and largely a servant-hearted role to try and um, 
I guess, stick up for the underdog maybe and uh, speak up in a collaborative way of trying to fashion responses that are more about coming alongside others and, 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 and figuring things out together because we don't have hard power you know, to the extent that, say, the U.S. might have. But we listen and we care and we're concerned and we're thoughtful and we um, know that we don't have all the answers, but we can try and broker solutions. Yeah. So I said we have but a even, lot, you know, and yeah, I'd love to see. It even reminds me of, yeah, sorry. No, please, uh, please. Yeah, it reminds me forever. of. Yeah. <laughs> no, it reminds me of uh, Jason Ballard's uh, leading mm. the Canadian Church Leadership Podcast. And he's having these guests that are some Canadian and some outside. But over and over the theme of this Canadian Church Leaders Podcast uh, and I know compassion is involved in that podcast as well. Is it's just um, the unique positioning of Canadians to engage in issues of uh, global leadership uh, and the global church and justice issues. And I mean, even now in a time of pandemic, there are literally more countries that a Canadian can can get to right now mm-hmm. that are not Americans are not being allowed to enter mm-hmm. for you know mainly just you know virus related issues, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, it is a, it is really a unique, yeah, a really unique thing. And when you're thinking of, um, you know, the church in Canada or really, I mean, maybe the American church as well, but um, when you're trying to um, mobilize and engage people around these issues of justice, mm-hmm. what, what is it that you're having the hardest time connecting on or trying to communicate? Or maybe another way of saying that, what is, what is it that you wish that people knew that they don't understand? <laughs> that is, um, you know, that, wow, that's a really um, probing question. For me, I think on the positive side is, I think there's this, this um, predisposition to, to care once people are made aware. Hmm. But I think that naturally we're so immersed in our own realities that we resonate with and we respond to the injustices maybe that we see closer to home. Um, and if there's some clarity about, well, what could I do to help? Um, people are very willing to, to roll up their sleeves and, and, and lend a hand. Um, but when people don't know, they're not aware, they're distanced from it. And maybe there's a barrier of trust, like, well, what are these organizations going to do? Um, are we really able to help? Are we causing more harm? Um, walking some of those things through is certainly an element. But I think um, I think in this era, really, Joanna, one of the biggest obstacles perhaps is almost ideological or political in the sense that there's, there's a lot of division in society right now. And there are a lot of people who make their careers, make their livings, sell their books, promote their you know, agendas by dividing people and almost caricaturing others and the thoughts and views of others. And so you get yeah. people into different camps. And once- In this cancel culture too. We don't agree, you do one thing we don't like, it's over. And it's over, and you're that more nuanced conversation. 
I think mm-hmm. so. And so sometimes I think people, you know, G.K. Chesterton said, most people haven't rejected Christianity, but merely its caricature. And likewise, um, you know, it's, it's said that um, Gandhi said, oh, I, I, I love your Christ, but it's your Christians that, that I can't stand. And I think that sometimes we are that obstacle and that impediment, um, but also sometimes it's language. You know, even at the early part of, of the introduction or of our conversation, you know, talked about I've been involved in aspects of social justice. And sometimes that's a word that, uh, or a phrase that can be really inviting to some and alienating to others. Some will see it as, oh, that puts you in a camp. That must mean that you believe X, Y, and Z, or that you are committed to certain things and leave behind or jettison um, other elements of, of the gospel. And to me, I think the good news is the good news. You talk about it being the greatest news because it addresses body, soul, mind, and spirit, all the ills human society. And as ambassadors of reconciliation, I think there's a space and there's a need for leaders to rise up, Christian leaders to rise up, not with power and pomp and authority and circumstance or arrogance, um, like I've got it all together, but with a posture of humility of saying, let's figure this out and let's listen and learn to the other. Let's listen to our critics. Let's listen to, you know, um, someone who maybe is from a different, um, whether it's a different denomination or someone who is a secular humanist or someone who is, um, you know, from the Islamic faith tradition and try and understand and hear the thread of Christ's love and compassion calling us to minister to the least of these, to love all and let whosoever will may come into this ignition of the love of Christ for all humanity and the flowing out of not just the great commission, but that great commandment to love one another with this unreserved, unabashed sense of passion for the, the best of each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, so much of the work of, of compassion is what I, you know, one of the things I love most about the work is that it's always through the local church, that Mm -hmm. it's not separate. It's, it's, a commitment to serving the local church in North America as we serve the church around the world, uh, you know, in mm. lower income, lower GDP countries, developing mm-hmm. nations, whatever mm-hmm. uh, words we're familiar with. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult commitment in some ways because there's some work that needs to be done in places where we, there may or may not yet be a connection to the local church. Um, but you know what I've been saying over and over through this pandemic to this audience on Word Made Digital is um, compassion has been in these communities before there was the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there now um, meeting needs and is going to be there after whenever this is over, mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. a number of years from now. Um, like it's a consistency of commitment. It's not, um, it's not just coming in 
without context and trying mm-hmm. to serve. There's real mm-hmm. relationship there um, over the long term. Can yeah. you can you give us a little bit of a picture though of like help people understand what is happening? There's this global crisis right now, global pandemic. It's affecting us in all kinds of ways. You know, we're not all mm-hmm. thriving either. But mm-hmm. what is this looking like in the global church, um, mm-hmm. in the global community of brothers and sisters? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, I think that, you know, in different pockets in different communities, um, you know, whether you want to look at um, what what was ripping through Spain, um, you know, what, what, what happened in Korea or um, how things were affecting those in Britain and the U.S., um, you know, we see the ravages of this virus going through and just decimating, you know, communities. What we saw happening in New York City, and then it kind of subsided, mm-hmm. and then you know we see California shutting down, and um, and so it's really again easy to get transfixed by what you can see nearby or what the media features, and the media always. Um, has hooks that are embedded in the audience's own local context and those who are selling media, you know, and and marketing their wares. Um, And so there's been a real paucity of information about what's happening globally. And so as devastating as this, these, these, you know, waves that are hammering the waves of, of COVID that are hammering um, us, for example, in North America, um, imagine, you know, a massive wave hitting a, a super tanker. It's, it may, or a cargo ship, it may rip from the deck all the cargo that's, you know, there and, and you know, just it overboard, but it's not as likely to capsize the entire ship and take it down. But the fishing boats that are kind of in its wake are going to be washed and maybe absolutely ripped apart. And so the impact of COVID on countries that have um, more fragile healthcare systems where people's nutrition is already, you know, more um, suppressed, it, it, who don't have the financial resources, you know, we yeah. look at situations in our context where we might see an unemployment rate of, you know, in double digits, um, you know, 12, 15, 18%. In some of the communities that we're working with overseas, it's it's skyrocketed to nearly 100%. Wow. The, there's, there's no economic activity to speak of, and there's no social safety net when it comes to being able to, you know, get relief from the government. There's not, you know, healthcare system that's in place that's affordable and accessible and if you can in the best of times access those healthcare systems um, you might be waiting quite some time to to get um, the right level of care you might never get the surgery yeah. that you need the medication might not be there well now with a pandemic blowing through you know it's absolutely overwhelmed and you have people who were suffering before there's now outbreaks of malaria and typhoid and and um, you know these other diseases, it, it just overwhelms the capacity. So, what um, what we're starting to see is, for example, Brazil has become one of the new epicenters of COVID nineteen. 
cases there have surpassed a million. Um, and it's, wow. it's rocketing, you know, um, through there. Mexico also is, is seeing, you know, increases in uh, so many different places. In Peru, about 85% of their ICU beds with ventilators are already occupied. They're under a state of emergency nationwide where it's self-quarantine, the borders are closed. We've seen coffins in the streets um, because they can't bury the bodies quickly enough. The governments have had to supply cardboard coffins in some of these places. Um, so it can be absolutely devastating. And we here have the luxury really of social distancing because you know we have an apartment building or a home to go and, and kind of be in and we can like private bathrooms in our homes not public private bathrooms yeah so if yeah. you're you know but what are you going to do if you're in a favela in um you know rio or you're in um city soleil in haiti and there's you know 30 family households living cheek by job that share a communal latrine um you can't social distance or if you're a father wanting to provide for your family or a mother trying to eke out an existence selling wares in the marketplace, um, if the dad wants to go work in the fields, he's got to get on the bus to go there, which is jammed with people and poultry. Yeah. And, and uh, But if he doesn't go, he sits at home and watches kids slowly starve to death in front of him. The World Health Organization has um, has projected that by the end of this year, we're going to see a doubling of the number of people pushed to the brink of, of starvation. It's currently wow. double, double. So we're talking and, and we're not talking, you know, hundreds of thousands. We're talking, there's about 135 million people who live in chronic food insecurity. So basically they're one day's supply of food away from starvation. Um, there's 10 countries where there's million, a million or more people that rely on, you know, food distribution to survive. With the pandemic coming through, that 135 million is going to swell to 230, 265 million people by the end of the year. So, you know, we're, we're looking at a decade's worth of development progress being wiped off the face of it. We're looking at, for the first time this century, all of the advances that we've been making. So when I started with Compassion in uh, 1998, um, you know, it was somewhere north of 40,000 children a day were being, um, were dying from malnutrition, you know, starvation and and preventable diseases. Fairly quickly thereafter, it was about 35,000 kind of in the midst of when I was. And that's dropped about half of that in in recent years. We've had tremendous gains. And uh, yet this year is the first time this century that the world poverty clock has moved backwards, meaning more people are being clawed back into extreme poverty than are escaping it. So there's a race against time. There's a race against this virus coming in and it's coming in like a tsunami in different ways. And we need to provide a perimeter of protection. We need to be doing what Compassion is doing on the ground through the local church, where even though our typical programs are on hold because our, you know, our the 8,000 church partners that we work with, where most of them have like a, a child education center 
on the campus of the church where the children come to learn and, and get, um, you know, uh, hear God's love for them. They get exposed to um, the gospel. They, they get their um, nutritional requirements met. They might get some, some food or some assistance for their families. That's all shut down. So now the pastors in the churches need to go out and find those sheep in their communities. And what we're seeing is amazing. We have shifted to the point where we have never done this before, but we've delivered more than 3.7 million food packets um, to the children and their families in these communities. We've given over 2.4 million hygiene kits and we're surrounding that with education and, you know, sanitation and hygiene. Um, We've assisted more than 160,000 individuals to access medical care while they're in distress. Um, So the church is rising up. In fact, we were talking um, earlier about this meeting with some global influencers who, you know, people who have an ability to let people know what's going on in the world, right? And we were sharing about this campaign that Compassion has just launched called We Rise as One. And it's all about we as the global church rising together to stand in solidarity with these children, to protect them, their parents, their families, their communities from the devastating impact of of the um, COVID-19 virus. And what we're seeing is, yes, the enemy is coming in like a flood. The virus is coming in, you know, with force and fury, but the church is rising up and resilient and responding with, you know, passionate, entrepreneurial, energetic care for physical needs and praying and um, uplifting those who need that breath of hope to stay alive and fight one more day. Yeah. Well, it's the church, as you, you said, the people don't reject Christianity. They reject the caricature of Christianity, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is, is interesting because what I'm hearing you describe is Christianity operating as it should saying, you know, Christians around the world saying like, we will respond. We will care for our brothers and sisters, strangers and neighbors um, in need. You know, we, the church will mobilize um, not just for our own needs. Um, although of course we, and you know, we also have been feeling the effects of this same thing, but, but even that even just brings us more empathy, more compassion for mm-hmm. others. So you say, wow, we think it's tough. It does not to minimize our own issues. You know, lots no. of, lots of people in North America have been really struggling. Of course, Absolutely. a lot of people have lost jobs. We know yeah. people who have been very ill yes. and also um, our, our responsibility and our love for, the other to be the church. You know, I think, um, um, you know, Barna does a ton of research, you know, on church and why people are staying in church or leaving church. And there's lots of data out there. They're not the only ones to do it, but, but they're so clear Mm -hmm. in talking about um, for the next generation or the Gen Z, maybe even millennials, you know, churches have to care about this stuff or people will leave the church. <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. The data continues to show from all these surveys, you know, they survey thousands, hundreds of thousands, you know, sometimes even a few million people um, in these in these research projects, just how significant this kind of work is to the next generation. Well, um, yeah, Joanna, I think, um, you know, to me, 
part of the element is like leaving the church is significant and um, abandoning the faith, you know, because mm. if people don't see those who claim to have the love of God in their hearts, actually demonstrating that concern and care for the, the, what the world would consider the least of these, for the vulnerable, for the widows and the orphans. James talks about it very clearly, you know, if, um, and John talks about it as well. If we don't love our brother who we have seen, how in the world can we make a credible case, you know, to paraphrase it, um, that we love this unseen father. And, you know, James saying like, care for the widows and the orphans. Paul yeah. talks about it, you know, don't neglect that. I think that um, because one of the biggest challenges to faith is this sense of, is God good? Mm. I think that's probably the most, at the end of the day, that's the battle that we all really, in the dark night of the soul fight, does God really care? Does he really love? Does he love me, let alone the cosmos? Is he in control? then why are bad things happening? And yet Jesus says to his disciples, when they see the 5,000 hungry, you give them something to eat. Yeah. And then he invites this little boy who has a lunch that would have been sufficient to feed this boy to say, would you trust me with that? And if I can take it, and if I can mess with it, if I can break it, I will bless it. And I watch what I can do. And in this day and age, yeah, of course, we, we need to care for our literal neighbor, those around us who are suffering. But that should be the launch pad, not the landing pad for our compassion. I think one of the reasons, you know, you talked about my career having been involved in the space of, of justice and international development, humanitarian work. It's, it's not really to me a career. It is a, it is a, I guess a call, um, not in any way because there's um, some noble intention in me. I'm just a train wreck. I'm just a clown. I'm, um, I'm a real <laughs> piece of work, you know, but I have, been exposed to the realities out there. And when you're exposed to it, you want to respond. And for yeah. me, I think it probably hits closer to home because in my own family's story, not my own journey personally, but my, my mom's upbringing, um, you know, they were desperately poor. She lived in a, a very large family. Um, you know, they're there would have been 21 or 22 children um, wow. had they all survived. Um, but like in many developing contexts, um, you know, in the poverty that they were growing up in and the violence they were growing up in, in Southern Ontario, having, uh, you know, her parents having uh, emigrated from, from tumult in Europe, um, there wasn't enough food every day. And, there were four kids to a bed and they were even taught by my grandmother at certain points when my grandfather was 
um, you know, was was really um, in in desperate throes of alcoholism. He was drinking away what little money the family had. Um, so my grandmother would teach my mom and her sisters how to go into the local general store and steal provisions just to be able to make it through the winter. And the amazing thing, Joanna, is they were in this small rural town and uh, the family that was that owned and was running the general store, who I can't imagine were wealthy by any means, but they saw my mom's family. And rather than seeing them as that other side of the tracks, smelly, poor family, they saw them as children for whom Christ bled and died, children that he loved desperately. And so they would invite them to church and they actually would show up to drive them there. And realizing that in the era, you, you know, showed up to church in your Sunday best. My mom and her sisters didn't have or her siblings didn't have that. They would provide them with dresses or shoes. Wow, yeah. Out of their own, you know, limited means. <laughs> Sometimes my grandfather would uh, see them coming up the lane to pick my, my mom and her sisters up. And drunk, he'd have a loaded shotgun. I don't know whether the shotgun or he was more loaded, but... Uh, chase the family away. <laughs> wow, man. And so they'd show up the next week, a little farther down the lane, maybe out of range, but uh, <laughs> say, hey, if you want to come. You yeah. Know. yeah. And so all the time that they were providing my mom and her sisters with this love and care, and not just in word, but in deed, um, you know, my mom and her sisters were, were stealing from them. Mm-hmm. So when my mom was... Uh, a teenager, she went back and said to this that the, the the mother who we now affectionately call she's since passed, but we call her Grandma Chicas. She said, Grandma Chicas, I need to apologize to you. The whole time you were loving on us and sharing God's love with us and giving us, you know, nice clothes, we were stealing from you. And Grammy Chicas just looked at her and kind of shook her head with a bit of a smile and said, that's okay, sweetie. We knew that all along. Jesus just told us to love you. And so I guess for me, it's like, you know, you roll the DNA dice again or do the uh, geographic lottery. It could very easily be me or yourself in one of these situations. Or we look at the pandemic. I mean, it's no respecter of persons. It can take out any one of our families. So if we have the ability to help, whether it's by telling a story, whether it's by being an advocate, whether it's be by writing a letter, whether it's by taking responsibility for loving on and lifting up one child and giving them a shot by sponsoring them or sending resources to help with a campaign that's going to provide food and um, sanitation and hygiene in a local community in Peru. Um, we each can do our part and we've got to, but more than that, it frees us from our own cocoons that can become nicely isolated, but then can become quickly suffocating. And uh, Martin Luther King Jr. talks about how we need to bust out of these confines of our narrow self-interest to the broader concerns of all humanity. That's where life is, life in all its fullness. That's why Jesus was always saying, love your neighbors yourself. Get involved yeah. in what 
what's affecting them because it really is affecting you if you don't. Yeah. It's the, it's the classic, you know, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling, I'm not talking about like medical level mental health issues, but you know, feelings of struggling with feeling low, feeling what's the point of life, feeling addicted to screens or addicted to whatever else, you know, as soon as you begin thinking of other people besides yourself, serving, actually being the church to people around us, it changes our perspective. It, It actually, as you know, obviously it's, it's, to help someone else, but it also helps us. I mean, that's the beauty of this work is that it saves us as much as it saves someone else. Doesn't it? And, it saves and us Julie, for a meaningless life. It does. It does. You talked about, um, you know, before kind of we, we, we got on this call about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and how, you know, if people don't have their basic needs met, how will anyone have an appetite to hear the gospel if, their stomach is growling because of they're on the brink of starvation. And how would the gospel even be credible? How would they know that God loves them if those who claim to be in his name and have the resources to help aren't are doing that? But there's a sense in which I think that, you know, the pinnacle of Maslow's is, is sort of self-actualization. I think for, for us, it's more full human flourishing of doing that that you've been designed for, called to, mm-hmm. or gifted with, and doing that in service of others, that sort of the, the, the top of our pyramid sort of plugging into meeting the, the base of someone else's mm-hmm. unlocks something in us and ignites others. And then we find out that, whoa, we're impoverished in so many ways where we think we're well-fed, you know, um, we think that we're We've got it all figured out. And then we realize, you know, that this mom who is um, fighting for her kids, who maybe has crossed militant lines in Somalia or South Sudan to go and find food or water for her kids. She's got a, a strength and a resiliency, a fierceness of love for her own children that I need to sit at her feet to learn from and say, what? Is it about her that drives her to that level of courageous risk? Um, or the church around the world who may not have the, um, you know, the best sound system, um, but has found a way to meet the needs of children in the community to show them that they matter, to find ways to help them extricate themselves from poverty and get on a path where they'll be able to become the next generation of nurses and healthcare practitioners and um, educators and mechanics. Yeah. That is, yeah. you know, that connection where we all need to you know, be that body of Christ where we all need one another to really fit together and to see the fullest expression of what we're designed for. Yeah. Well, and as you're talking about this, uh, you know, as we kind of close off our time, you know, when it's a reminder and invitation to us to be the church, you know, if we want to be communicators of good news, 
it's not just with our words or with a social media post. It's with our lives. It's with our money. It's with our time. And, you know, that's why this work matters and why I want to keep talking about it on this podcast, you know, week after week, why we, why we talk about this, um, to be the church in, in all of its forms. Um, but one of the ways you're talking about that, just as a, a last thing, if you can give us a sneak peek into your, you're working collaboratively. And I think this is quite unique. Um, on a on a concert event, I'm not sure how much you can say about it. If we can't say too much right now, I'll fill it in um, in the intro outro sure. later when we have more yeah. info. But tell us a little bit uh, just as we close out about this collaboration. I've not heard of this happening before. I think this is new. Yeah, I'm really excited about it, and um, I've got to be careful because um, you know it's still a work very much in in, in progress, but. Um, Stay tuned because there are some uh, leading Christian charities, some NGOs that are coming together to say, you know what, COVID is bigger than any one of our organizations. Mm -hmm. And really, um, there's a sense of, um, there's a book called Rooting for Rivals. You know, I guess for me, having worked with, you know, with Compassion and IJM and Mercy Ships and World Vision, uh, and as well as collaborated um, and led partnerships with, um, you know, Save the Children and and others, there are um, there's just strengths that we each have to offer, and gaps. And there's coverage of different places mm -hmm. on the planet where we can show up, where others can show up. And I find that um, if we would join our forces and our resources in times or times where you come together. And um, there, so there's a concert under development where um, a number of these organizations are going to be joining together to raise their voices together to uh, unite in this common front against um, the impacts of COVID-19 on the poor. And I hope that this is just um, a sign of enhanced collaboration on the ground, in the field. Yeah. I've seen that through some of the other work that I've been involved not with. Where, like not enemies. You're doing that. No. You're on the same. T these are different organizations. We're all fighting poverty. We're, we're all fighting injustice. We're all, we're all doing you know, the same thing. Absolutely. And we do it in our own ways. And it's kind of like, you know, when they were rebuilding the, 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 the walls around Jerusalem, everyone had their part of the wall. They had that repair this gate or this part of the wall and they all had their trowel and they needed to do their own work in their own way. And so if you're with an organization that is doing uh, poverty alleviation through education, like be the best at that. If you're doing it through nutrition, do it the best you can. If you're addressing uh, violent injustice, then get after that. But then when there is a rallying cry, you know, the trumpet sounds because the enemy is coming in in a certain way. You down tools, you put your trowel down and you leave your station there and you pick up the sword and you run and you say, together, we're going to take this on. Yes. And so there's a space for, you know, um, I think there's a space for healthy competition that keeps us efficient, that drives us to say, how can we be better? And, oh, what are they doing? How could we learn from that? Because there's something in built in us that, um, you know, Innovation. we would be, yeah, yeah we, 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 that brings out the best, but we should do it in a spirit of collaboration. And uh, I think you're going to see some of the best and brightest coming out of 
the global church, the global you know community, as we realize that we none of us can fight COVID on our own, none of us can address extreme poverty on our own, none yeah. of us can address injustice on our own, none of us can cover you know the planet with the love of Christ and the good news uh, of His love for all humanity. Um, we need to join forces and serve yeah. one another and do it together and say, you know, if you can do it better, hey, go for it. And how can I help? Yeah. No, I think it's really exciting. I hope it's, you know, that a lot of things have had to change and pivot for so many organizations, um, churches, leaders. We're all trying to figure out. And there's some stuff we don't want to go back to. I mean, that's a lot of the chatter that maybe there's some new ways we're doing things right now that are a better way. Uh, we don't want to go back to some of our old ways. And I'm excited about this. I'll, I'll, you know, as we get more information that we're able to share, I'll share mm. more with everybody listening about what this is. I know that people are going to want to check it out. Um, Cause it's going to be, it's going to be big. So I'm excited because when you, with your powers combined, you can do more and then leverage more um, people, yeah. resource, skill, talent, etc. So yeah. stay tuned, everybody. And, and with that, maybe if I could just say, you know, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. If you are moved by some of these realities, like, you know, leverage the gifts and skills that you've been given to, you know, Steve Jobs talked about put your dent in the universe, maybe to restore, um, you know, to, to mend a wound, to mend something that is broken in humanity. And join up with organizations that are doing it, find through your local church, find um, organizations that you believe in, that you love the way that they're doing it, you know, get out there and volunteer for them, advocate for children through this, support your local food bank, or, you know, if you want to help with food for the hungry or world vision, you know, or um, of course us at Compassion, um, you know, we are all, just doing our best to figure this out. None of us have it all mapped out exactly in this season of COVID. We are all trying to get our bearings. We're trying to do this, but there is an urgency. So I really care less about who you work through organizationally, Mm. but that you step up and how much of yourself can you lay on the line? How much of your little boy's lunch can you say, Jesus, you know what? In my hands, I'll eat it and I'll consume it and then I'll have an empty bag with a few crumbs. But if I offer it up to you, I may also become wounded. I might become broken bread and poured out wine. I mean, Wilson Carmichael talked about the wounds and scars that came from following Christ, even as she ministered to children who were uh, enslaved in different contexts in, in, in yeah. India. She was wounded, but she said, that's what the master is. But as we allow ourselves to become broken, we're going to see that God breaks us free from some of our own, um, you know, selfish behaviors and orientation. Um, at least that's my hope because I'm still wrapped up in all of that myself. Um, but we'll find ourselves <laughs> connecting to others in fights yeah. that matter. And rather than a few crumbs at the bottom of our bag or maybe, you know, stuck to the corners of our mouth. Uh, and a bit of a full belly, we'll have full hearts. And we might actually see, oh my goodness, 
there's baskets left over and all of these people have been fed and they're buzzing with excitement that Jesus was here in our midst and he cared about us so much that he met every need that we had the deepest reaches of our heart. He gave us that cup of cold water. He gave us food to eat and he gave us hope that God does love us because we've seen the love of others for us. And now we're going to go out and share that with everyone that we can. Yeah. I love it, Jamie. Thanks so much for uh, being with us today, talking about something that we need to continue to talk about and be spurred on by. Um, It's encouraging to hear what's going on with the church around the world. And it's urgent what the needs are of our brothers and sisters around the world right now. So I hope people are, you know, moved to action by this conversation. Um, Whether a little or a lot, you've thrown a ton of ideas out. So thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Absolutely. I'm certainly honored. And uh, if anyone, you know, wants to carry the conversation further, um, you know, also feel free to reach out to me, whether through Compassion's website or through some of my social handles. I I just love to hear anyone who's kind of sparked to do something, Mm -hmm. love to chat and say, hey, what do you got to offer? How could we, how could we spark that into action? Maybe you've got, maybe you've got the next thing that will create the next wave or start the next organization or, or, um, you know, activate others to get involved. So thanks so much, Joanna. Bless you as you really do um, try and incarnate the gospel the love of Christ in digital ways, in technological ways, um, so that people can be equipped and strengthened to go out and do likewise. Awesome. Thank you. And of course, we'll, we're going to link all that in our notes for the show so people can find you uh, really easily. Uh, thanks so much. All right. Thanks. Take care. Yeah. Uh, Jamie, thanks so much for that conversation. I really appreciate just his general like heart and passion that comes out as he speaks with a lot of thoughtfulness about issues that are serious, but are not without a lot of hope. I would love for you to get involved and lean in and watch and listen on August 28th at 8.30 p.m. to this Unite to Fight Poverty. This is a free two-hour concert and it's benefiting vulnerable families in the developing world who are most vulnerable in this aftershock and all the effects of COVID-19 that are happening all around the world. Um, We've never seen all these organizations like this get together before. So we're talking about Compassion Canada, World Vision Canada, Food for the Hungry Canada, but also in the U.S., these these organizations are leaning in and these amazing lineup of Toby Mac and Hillsong and King and Country, Kirk Franklin, Michael W. So you've heard, I've sent you the list already. You don't need too much more. But please go check the link in the show notes. Would love for you to get involved in that amazing event. And we'll see you next week. The next episode we have uh, is all about digital church. Can't wait for you to hear it. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world. 